Welcome to another podcast. Follow the money, quote unquote. From stimulus checks to child tax credits and even a few vaccine incentives along this COVID journey, there seems to be a clear understanding in the global governments that people are tending to follow the money being dangled in front of them at nearly every turn. Thanks to the pandemic, governments and institutions have been able to do extensive field research on the dynamics of civil bribery, quote-unquote, in order to get certain objectives accomplished. And especially during a crisis, we want to welcome you to our fourth podcast for these present days. Here we go. In this episode, we're going to focus on the hidden in plain sight action that has been capturing people at their most vulnerable. In order to create a narrative of their choosing in the exchange for some monetary compensation, which, by the way, always has that elusive fine print attached, a large majority of people who were giddy at the sight of their stimulus checks over the last couple of years have since been rudely awakened by the IRS bite that equates to zero tax return. You used to get money back. Now it's just staying there. Not a pleasant surprise, but a surprise nonetheless. But then again, following the money is never as pleasant as we think it is. In Ecclesiastes 5.10 in the NIV translation, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. You see, if we believe that this moment in history when the world experienced a pandemic unlike any other greedy people and supernatural forces haven't been learning about the current state of human nature in the 21st century and adapting to that nature accordingly. We would be embarrassingly mistaken if we think that they haven't been paying attention. We know that we have an adversary roaming about on a daily basis looking to devour any and everyone. In 1 Peter 5.8, the NIV translation again, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. When we think of the word devour, we think of eating. So if it's a roaring lion devouring, we imagine a pretty gruesome scene with him tearing flesh off the bone and, and chewing on it and everything. If it's being our favorite restaurant, ordering our favorite mouthwatering meal, Devouring isn't so much gruesome as it is messy and a little entertaining, the way that people dive into their pot roast or slap their enchiladas all upside their faces or getting what they wanted to eat. But something we tend to not really associate with, the word devour, is being absorbed. Being absorbed by something, typically a feeling or an action, like reading or working on something like they, we, we say they were devouring that book or they were devouring, you know, that project. So when we read that scripture in First Peter, we are less likely to think that it's a subtle devouring that's taking place when most of the time that's exactly what's happening. In fact, at the unusual place, we refer almost every time to the actual definition of its original Greek and Hebrew context, meaning to liquefy. Liquid is absorbent. And not only does our heart become liquefied by fear, but that fear gets absorbed into our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, just as equally. Let's put it like this. Through salvation, we are devoured, absorbed by the promises of God and by God Almighty himself, becoming a new creation. 
I'd say that this is an accurate result of being devoured. Just like when Jesus would say, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. There is an absorption of each of the two independent personalities. We are changed according to how much we're willing. This can happen at a radical instantaneous transformation, or this can happen over time, incrementally devouring or absorbing or changing into something else. That happens as we grow and apply ourselves to the Word. But we still live in a world that attempts to devour us at every opportunity, whether it be good or bad. Anything that we are absorbed in, ooh, careful, I'm going to say that again. Anything that we are absorbed in is also successfully devouring us. Oh, I mean, I know people that are absorbed in social media, always having to get online, talk to people all over the place, interacting, all this. They're very absorbed and they're being very devoured as they are devouring that moment that they are doing what they're doing. Not in a way that we notice easily. It's subtle. You know, you probably didn't even give that a second thought um, before I mentioned it. In a slow and steady incremental sort of way until we find ourselves in a position with seemingly no way out. It's a cycle that's hard to break free from. Now listen, we're talking about borderline addiction to where you have to have it. I don't mean you go through withdrawals and you got all kinds of chemistry in your body changing up and everything, but addicted, you know, like they used to call emotional attachments to people that were unhealthy soul ties. I don't know if that's still a popular term where the souls are tied around it or they're being absorbed, you know, by another, by the thoughts of this other person. And that person over on the other side probably isn't even, isn't even noticing them, not even paying attention. So when it comes to money in our Western civilization, we have learned to save, have a job, if we're Christians, tithe, save some more, and pay those taxes. This formula, albeit smart and responsible naturally, hooks us into the never-ending cycle of how money works, why we need it, what we do with it, and where it goes. We devour the way we handle our money. We consume, and don't think you're not being consumed, oh, because they call you a consumer. Oh, when you go shopping, you are a consumer. We consume and we gain and when we are organized, we call that being good stewards. There is truth somewhere in there. The principles of sowing and reaping and stewardship on a biblical level are, are there undoubtedly. But is this truly what God had in mind for us? Following the money? Oh. Um, we usually think of following the money in terms of a movie where there's some kind of investigation going on and trying to get to the bottom of it, and they say, well, let's just follow the money because it's always going to be behind something. And get a load of what the Bible says um, in the epistles of the disciples of Jesus when they say stuff like, money is the root of all evil. No, they didn't say that. Money isn't the root of all evil in and of itself. It has to have something from you to make it the root of all evil, and that's called lust. 
The lust of money is the root of all evil. And the lust doesn't mean, you know, like a craven, you know, uh, addict looking for their next fix and stuff like this. It's talking about the uh, absorbed and attention being focused and, and, and being consumed with making more, maybe overworking ourselves, maybe getting too much, you know, away from the family and more at the office doing all this stuff to try to make ends meet, but not just making ends meet. You want to get that, get that extra boat or that extra RV on the side and all that. We got to be careful. We got to be careful. After all, we are called consumers for nothing. And so in 1 John 2.15, it's just in New King James, it puts it like this. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in. Now, what does it mean by love right there? You know, like unconditional love, give your life, lay your life down and, and, and sacrifice your life for? Ooh. We pay, we, we actually are selling off our lives every week that we're going to work. Piece by piece, we're getting paid for the hours that we give somebody else, or unless you work for yourself, and you're getting paid, you know, for doing that. And I'm not saying that's not right. You have to do that in a in a world that we live in, natural world. But we can't allow ourselves to be consumed, can we? We don't want to help the devil doing his devouring. Mm. Let's all be honest about the realities of life for a minute. We are all aware of how the world works. We play our part in the machine that runs it all. We have to, don't we? How else will we make money if we don't work? How else can we eat and feed our families if we don't have money to shop for groceries and consume? How else are we able to buy things that make us happy or splurge on a reward for ourselves because the weeks have been rough? We have to play the game. We have to be a part of the system. We have to do what our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and what we were taught as kids to continue doing because there is no other way, quote-unquote. And that includes becoming one of those off-the-grid, doomsday, prepper, Amish, offshore conspiracy theorists. Following the money is just something we have to do. Or is it? The problem with this money cycle is that when something unexpected shows up and the cycle abruptly stops, like you lose your job or they're cutting back or they demoted you and you're making less or you got unexpected bills, um, you have to fix the car, all of the sudden we become the ones getting devoured by the uncertainty of the world around us and things we just don't have control over. We don't know the half of how many stories are out there, including the ones we personally heard about people losing everything during the 2008 financial collapse, or how about the countless stimulus checks people received or applied to receive during the pandemic. It seems that the biggest enemy of these tidy capitalistic systems is uncertainty, catastrophe, the unexpected, and the unforeseen. Unfortunately, according to the scriptures, we have nothing but uncertainty, catastrophe, unexpected, and unforeseen events heading our way. Jesus warns us in Matthew 24. John warns us over in the book of Revelation. This is the world we live in. It's not going back to the world we used to live in. This all points 
to the need of every Jesus follower getting their GPS instrument rating dusted off and in working order before it's too late and we're faced with zero visibility and have no confidence in our captain. In other words, our captain, the Holy Spirit, to steer us clear of danger. What am I talking about? GPS instrument rated. Well, years ago, my cousin and I went on an airplane ride in a little single-engine Cessna airplane from Palomar Airport over the, the mountains to drop into Palm Springs. We hung out in Palm Springs and went back over to the coast again uh, in Carlsbad area, and we buzzed the ocean. I mean, he got so close to where his wheels were hitting the water and spinning. And he informed me later that if that would have gone deeper where the water could have sucked the plane in. We would have crashed face down into the water. We were just outside the breakwater. I mean, he started buzzing the surfers that were out there surfing. And we were getting a good laugh out of it because I used to surf all the time in the same spots. But um, he only got a pilot license that was visibility rating. Instrument rating is when pilots are trained to fly at night or fly through stormy weather where you can't see even beacons and lights that light up the runways. You can't see them. They have an instrument panel in front of them that they have to trust. And they have the, the inclination probably lots of times to look out the window and look around it because that's what you do in regular life in the regular world when you're regularly, regularly driving your car to the regular store. When you're not a pilot at the moment, you're going shopping for your wife and you're used to looking around and not, you're fighting against that but you're, you're trained. you got to get trained to go by your instincts and trust that panel. Now, if you're running into a magnetic field where your instrument dials are going in circles, well, then you're in, in bad shape. But what I'm talking about here is spiritual. We fly, we're flying by faith. And I'm changing the wording on that because I'm usually saying we're living by faith or we're not. We should be living by faith because it is a lifestyle. And at times, we can equate it or or relate it to flying, you know, because sometimes we gr gain great altitude and great heights and great and great accomplishments, and then other times, you know, it looks like we're nose diving or we're going through rough times and our faith is under attack in the middle of, of, of a storm and stuff like that, and we can't really see out the windows. And so that's why I said there's a need for every Jesus follower getting their GPS instrument rating. What does that mean? That means just spending time getting familiar with the voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, if we haven't already. And if we have, keep it up and making sure that that's in running order all the time. Even if you can't put your finger on it, but you have, you know, the heebie-jeebies on the inside that there's just something in the pit of your heart that just says, no, stop, don't go any further. Don't go with that guy. Don't do that deal. It's things like this. And so we need to get the instrument rating dusted off and in working order because the Holy Spirit, as we're praying in the, in, in the language that he inspires us to pray in, we're speaking not unto men but unto God and how be it, we're speaking mysteries and we're being edified or built up. In other words, raised in, in the elevation of our observation. You need to be able to see over the top of things and see what's laid out in front of you before you walk into the maze that is set up in this world by all kinds of predators that are waiting to devour. 
And so we need to get this before it's too late and faced with zero visibility and no confidence in our captain. What gives us confidence in our captain? In our everyday life, being used to consulting him, being used to communicating with him, being used to listening to him, being used to following his impressions on the inside of us. Mm. If you're not used to it, you're not going to have much confidence in him because it's, it's not changing when you're yelling and screaming in the name of Jesus for the darkness to part and for all of the confusion to stop and everything like this. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop. It doesn't part. And you're having to fly through it. And you better learn to trust your instruments. And so the Holy Spirit, like I said, is the captain. And he needs our co cooperation for us to safely land on the runway of truth. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, to land on the runway of truth. In John 16, 13, the New King James says it like this. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. In other words, he's telling you what's in front of you. He's telling you what's out ahead of you before you get to it, before you crash into it before you have to avoid it. When it comes to money, most people think they can live well with it and can't live without it. And so they think it'll fix their problems. They think money is not a, a, a necessary evil. It's a wonderful good. And you need to understand something here. What about before they invented money? <laughs> they walked the earth. And, and there were, there were people that followed after God walking the earth. Well, I'm talking about Abraham when he left where he was dwelling and God gave him promises and he, he couldn't bear children, but he bared ch children. He started having kids. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of the line, they didn't have all the things we have today. They're not in modernity. They're in post, I mean, excuse me, in, in, in pre-modern times, prehistoric times because there's not much history written about him. And so we get into the modern days, and now we're in the postmodern 21st days, 21st century days. And like I said before, most people in our generation right now, on the cusp of Jesus' return, they think that they can't live without money. They can't be happy without money. They can't live well without it. They can't you know, they have to have it. They can't see any other way. You see, money is a poor master, but an excellent servant. I mean, if you're a slave to money, it's cracking the whip on your back all the time. You can't hardly sleep at night because your back-in-the-background programs are running and stressing you out. You have to take certain medications, maybe, for blood pressure and all this kind of thing. It is a horrible master. It doesn't give you any time off. It's not going to bring you any peace. You think if you have enough money to pay all the bills and go into all the vacations and buy all the toys and everything, and he who dies with the most toys wins? Are you kidding me? He who dies with the most toys and who spent their life, like Jesus said, what is the profit of man? To gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul. There's no profit in that. It's all loss. Because through your soul, which has your mind, will, and emotions, and your, your complete personality, 
How are you going to enjoy the money if your soul is shot? You can't. How are you going to enjoy the money if your body is ravaged with all kinds of sickness and disease and you're on your deathbed with no hope and they, and, 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 and they can't do anything for you, send you home, turn you over to hospice? Wow. Money can't solve that. There's been some very, very wealthy people in the last decade that have passed away. And they didn't want to leave. They had all the money they needed. They couldn't spend the money in their whole lifetime. Mm. You see, most people get the equation wrong. Because in speaking of masters and servants, there's always one when the other is in place. In other words, if money is the master, you are always a servant. But equally and opposite is true is that when God is allowed to be the master of providing for you, including money, I'm not saying without money, including money, money becomes your servant. What do I mean by including money? Well, because we think that we got to get on the treadmill or the, or the grinding stone, you know, put your, your, your nose to the grindstone, as it were, and go to work for the money. Is there other ways that money can come? <laughs> um, there's a word in the Bible that's known as charisma, charismata. It's translated grace. And what it means is God given you what you don't deserve because your mind tells you what you do and don't deserve, doesn't it? You know, like if you earned it, you know it. And you're going to be upset if you don't get it. But if you didn't earn it, and you're getting it somehow anyway, that throws your mind into a topsy-turvy. It's like, what? You see, grace is hard to wrap our natural minds around. Because you know what mercy is? Mercy and grace are two sides of the same coin. You flip the coin, and sometimes mercy comes up, sometimes grace. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. <laughs> we deserved hell. We deserve to be banished. We deserve to be forsaken. But God has been faithful. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He has saved us, and he has had and is having mercy on us because his mercies are new every morning. Wow. So, this little thing called grace. Back in the Old Testament, God told the nation of Israel, who were slaves for 400 years, when they were led out by Moses to their new promised land, that you're going to go live in houses you didn't build. You're going to have lands that have vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to have streams and water that you didn't dig for. And that, my friend, is God's grace. He didn't tell them that you have to keep your nose clean, you have to do good, and I'll give you this, and I'll do that. He, he later on introduced them to the keeping of the commandments the laws and statutes, the ordinances that keep you straight. You know what the summation of all the Ten Commandments? Actually, there's more than ten. There's hundreds because you gave them dietary ones and hygiene ones and, and, and interrelating socially ones, all kinds of commandments. And you know what the summation is? Jesus came and he brought the summation. He said, this fulfills all of the commandments. L-O-V-E. And what is that? No, 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 no. Who is that? God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. They say that 
explicitly. God is love. If you have God, you have the fulfiller of all commandments. All the commandments being kept mechanically were to keep you in tr on track and in relationship with God. But that all passed because Jesus came and fulfilled the law. And then Jesus moved inside of us. And so we have the law fulfilled. And he shed by the Holy Spirit's work. It says in Romans 5 and verse 5, the Holy Spirit's been shed abroad in our hearts. What has he shed with himself being present in our heart. It says, the Holy Spirit has shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. And the love of God fulfills all the law. And so we're not living under law and the law of this and the law of that. Sure, we're supposed to still sow and reap because that's an act of faith, not of law. We, we sow out of the abundance of what God has blessed us with. He has to give us the start, the ball rolling. He gives us freely and freely we receive all things from him so that we can generously sow them into the world and the people that need help in this world. Not only to just pay your bills and stuff like this. Why do we sow into the local church? Because we believe in, in what they're preaching, what they're, what they're doing in the community and things like this. You know, we're getting fed spiritually because God has instructed us to and he's leading us to. Not by legalism, but by relationalism. So, <laughs> a great lie is that old saying, money makes the world go round, because we know that only God makes the world go round. Therefore, if we choose to serve God with all of our lives, we will never lack, because money will serve us with all of its might. What we need, and money will serve, and, and what we need to understand that money will serve us, but only when we're serving God, because God is the master of all the mediums of exchange. You see, money is just a medium of exchange. At one time, they would do probably rocks or, or cattle. Some guy would bring his cows over here because, you know, he didn't have chickens. And so he'd bring a cow over and some milk and stuff like this to get some eggs from a guy that had a bunch of chickens. And so that was a medium of exchange. And we're not going to go back to the bartering system and those medium of exchange. But, you know, in the, in the world we're living in right now, Bitcoin is now being popular, you know, and it's taken off and skyrocketing on the, on, the, on the market and stuff like this. It's just like, it's just a medium of exchange. Why do we treat it as if it's a god? It's not a god. It can't save. It doesn't rescue. It doesn't bless you. God is the one and the only one that can do that. You see, this isn't the reason we choose God because of God making the world go around and we want to control the world, so we choose God. No. This isn't why we choose God. We choose God because he first loved us. So this is just a principle and a promise. Nonetheless, that when we serve God, money will come. When we serve God, God will, God will provide. And we might think it's because I went to work and I got my pay. Who gave you the breath? Who gave you the health? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the wisdom? Who gave you the skill set? God did. Well, I went to school, I busted my butt. No, 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 no. It's real easy to boil this down to where it's nothing but God. 
<laughs> so, we finally get it. Incentives. Why wouldn't we take them? Ooh, the answer is simple. Above all else, we trust God. Even if that means walking away from something as great as free money, if that's what he's leading us to do. Why? Because we are all born to follow God above all else. Even above following the money. Don't forget it. We were born to follow God. So I was being a little bit facetious when I was saying, we get it, incentives. Why wouldn't we take them? That's what we think. That's what comes into our mind. That's what we think is a sanctified thought in the mind of Christ. <laughs> and the answer is simple. Above all else, we trust God. We got to choose to trust the highest, the best, and the only thing that sustains us and is the origin and source of all life and all creation and everything that exists is him. And we've got a relationship with a him and not an it. And so, yes, even if it means walking away from something as great as free money, it's not ever free money when it comes from the world. <laughs> it's got strings and agendas all over it. It, if it seems to be too good to be true in the world system, of course it is. There's a hook there. With God, he's not hooking for anything. God doesn't have to lower himself to be sh a shyster and a sneaky con artist in hooking us into the kingdom by promising us, promising us big old houses and cars and all this kind of thing. And we gotta, we, we gotta, we gotta shun certain things that we might think that, you know, is all about God. You know, God, you know, wants us to live in the best and have the best, and, and God wants us to eat the best and wear the best, and God wants us to have, you know, a blonde hair, blue-eyed, beautiful beauty pageant for a wife, um, you know, because of, of, of racism, you know, because of, of the elite white race. That's all lies that people have bought into. And I'm not knocking blonde hair and blue eyes. I got blonde hair and blue eyes. Well, I had blonde hair. It's turning a little bit different color now nowadays, but the blue eyes are still there. But no, we bought into certain things. Listen, having God's best starts with having God who is the best. And having God as our Father, having Jesus as our Savior, having the Holy Spirit as our companion, and making a lifestyle out of all of the interaction with them, and when it comes for the needs in the in regular life of food, yeah, food. I mean, you're not living on a farm, probably. Um, you might be you know, a real small percentage of, of of the people that are hearing this living on a farm, growing your own and raising your own and having your own stuff that you need: cows and and sheep and 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 horses and 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 gardens and 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 cornfields and stuff like this. And most of us have to go buy it, and it takes money. But don't ever ever again let money be your servant. Don't ever do anything for the money. I'm going to say that again. Don't ever do anything for the money and refuse to do it because of the lack thereof. Don't make money your God. Don't follow money as if 
you're following your Savior, follow God, and money is going to follow you. Thank you for listening and tuning in, and hopefully this blesses you, and uh, take it with you. In the name of Jesus.